Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I'm your host, Danielle Girard, and my, ga- my guest today is suspense author Kate White. Kate is the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of nine standalone psychological thrillers, including Between Two Strangers, coming out now, The Second Husband, and The Fiancé as well as eight Bailey Wagons mysteries, including Such a Perfect Wife, which was nominated for an International Thriller Writers Award. The former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine, Kate is also the editor of the Mystery Writers of America cookbook. Welcome, Kate. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. And I just realized, is it the fiancé or the fiancé? Oh, fiancé. But say whatever you want. Well, that was like, you know, I know there's like a, there's a term for the man and there's a term for the woman. And I, I always get, you know, I, I'm so used to hearing fiance, but I was like, maybe I'm saying that. I, right, I so. think with the guy, you just have, a, it's a different, it's a two E's instead of one is, but maybe I'm wrong. I think, yeah, I think that, that may be right. Okay. There you go. Well, I'm glad I didn't mess that up, but I'm sometimes I'm like, oh gosh. Okay. So before we get to all the questions, I have so many fabulous questions. Um, I want you to tell our listeners about Between Two Strangers. It's a story of a struggling artist named Skylar Moore who gets a call one day from an attorney, uh, which scares her to death. As she says, it's like that same kind of dread you get when you go through an airport and you see those canine German shepherds and you think, is this the day I accidentally swallowed a a condom full of cocaine without remembering it? (laughs) And he he says he wants her to come into his office. And at first she's, Uh, you know, she's worried uh, when he leaves a message that because she does collages, maybe she's offended somebody with part of her work, uh, but she sucks it up and calls him back. And he tells her that she's going to be given an inheritance. And she has this moment of giddiness and then realizes she doesn't recognize the name. But he says, no, there's no mistake. This man has left you something. I can't tell you what it is. You have to come to my office. So wondering even if it might be a little bit of a scam, you know, timeshare kind of thing where she's going to try to give her a timeshare. But um, she gets there and she realizes as he talks a little bit more that this is a guy, uh, the person who's left her something is someone she had a one night stand with 12 years before. And he's left her three and a half million dollars, which is mind blowing. And it's going to change her life because in addition to wanting to be an artist full-time, she wants a baby. She's almost 38 and she's going to have to do it on her own. But the wife uh, comes after her, is going to come after the money and try to show she's an extortionist. And so what she's got to do is figure out why he left her the money. And part of the painfulness of that process for her is that she had the the evening with him the same weekend 12 years ago that her sister disappeared and died. So there's just a lot to dredge up about that time. So the book juxtaposes chapters from 12 years ago as Skylar is searching for her half-sister, Chloe. 
Well, and it is, I mean, it, so first of all, the quote that I, I do Monday, if you guys don't know, I do a, a quote of the week Monday Mondays now to kind of help with Monday drudgery. And actually the quote that you just mentioned about the German shepherds and the, the condoms of cocaine was 100% the quote I chose because it's, <laughs> it's a very funny, um, and actually though, I it's, it's it is exactly the emotion we all have when we think we might be in trouble, we're like, oh God, we try no. to you know, imagine what we might've done. So- Or did I pack um, a weapon and don't remember it? Yes, exactly. Like, or someone snapped me something. Yeah, exactly. It's very, it is irrational, but it's it's very universal as well. So it's, um, this is a, it's a fabulous story and the way that the pieces are woven together, which obviously we are not talking about because there are no spoilers on our show, um, are, is really, really so clever and, um, just like a Kate, just like we expect from a Kate White book. So, um, before we get, you know, go on too much, I want to hear. Can you remember this? I know sometimes it's hard to remember where the story came from, but do you remember the seed for this story? Yeah, and just as you said, Danielle, sometimes it's hard to remember. And I've had books where I remember it came from a word. Like once, I just saw the word twins, and I thought. I've got to work with that. And sometimes I don't remember. But this, the weirdest thing happened. After my mom died, one of my brothers, I, I five fabulous brothers, one of them was the executor. And he said he discovered through the bank that a fairly significant check had gone to somebody who we did not recognize the name. And we were like, holy cow, our mom has left money to someone we've never heard of. And so uh, he starts digging. And finally, one of my brother, other brothers realizes that's a, a married name of a relative who'd been married a number of times. And it turns out the money went to her. You know, at first we're thinking, does she have an illegitimate child? Right, right. And uh, it turned out that this woman had kept the check, never questioned it, it claimed that, well, I just thought your mother always said she loved me and... It, the bank realized their error. There was an explanation for it. They gave us the money uh, that was part of my mom's estate, not a big estate, but you called an estate. And right. they never clawed back the money from this other person. Interesting. But I, that it was so upsetting to sort of think about, wow, what what's going on here? And then I did that thing. I know you as an author probably do it too, where you do the what ifs, you know, I start thinking, what if something like that happened and you actually couldn't get the money back? Or what if, what if you were left money and you didn't know why? And so that's was the seed for it. And totally. it's times I totally remember. This yeah. Thing. Well, and what I mean, so that's a, it's such a, that's such a shocking thing to think that you your mother has a life had part of a life that you didn't know about too, right? I mean, that's uh, and that that's how she you know Skylar feels too. It's just like this is something I don't know what this is. I can't you know. And then to have it attached to a one night stand, also of a of a married you know this man's married and has a, a wife. So for her to yeah, it's it is quite. Uh, and I was like, I don't know how Kate's going to pull this together. So, but. <laughs> You do. So that's. I just say, you know, speaking about my mother and things we don't know, I do know my mother never had sex, just in case, you know, anybody right. there is. Right? <laughs> of course, she had, she had, you have five brothers and you, so she yeah, just had right. immaculate conception time that's sex, right. of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was interesting for me to, once I had this idea to start to go with it and 
Um, I I found that you know, for Skylar, you know, one of the things she's got to try to do is figure out why I left her the money. And she does a little exploring, doesn't find anything else out. And, and she begins to wonder, was there something about that night that would tell her if she thought back? And it's not about recovered memories. It's more she's just tamped them down because she associates them with her sister's disappearance that weekend. Right. And so she's got to start trying to dredge them up. And because Skylar is a collage artist, yeah, she suddenly realizes she's going to make a collage. So she starts downloading pictures from the boutique hotel where she met him and uh, puts those on the collage. And they played the game Two Truths and a Lie. So she puts some elements there and, and it was in Boston. So she puts pictures of Boston and a picture of herself as 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 uh, a young, very happy woman then who she isn't so much now, you know, when she was in grad school uh, as an art person. And it's really weirdly in the end, it is through the collage that she starts to piece right. everything together. And that was interesting, was interesting too, to do some research about memory and how there is research that shows just like the petite Madeleine that Proust eats and it triggers memories. Right. Uh, they do say that if you are wanting to remember certain things, sounds and smells, music can, can help you get there. Yeah. In fact, I think that's what we, I think smell, they said is like one of the strongest um, indicators or yeah. Um, response draws memories one of the strongest most strong oh my gosh it's a very strong uh, association with memory but of course it makes total sense that that was such a traumatic experience for her that you know anything related to that time in her life is probably really like you said tamped down so I'm curious about the collage because it was so fun to read about that and I I had to I have to ask you know in, in addition to being a bestseller best-selling author Kate are you also an artist or is this something you just researched I oh, about that I am a terrible artist, but I love art and I do, I, I do collect art and I have since I was 22 and bought my first thing at the Washington Square Park Street Art Festival. And I've been lucky to get things that that little head behind me is from, yeah. was actually from the collection of Vincent Price. It's from the, it's a, a Incan head from the 1500s. And I, I just love art. I love to go to galleries and it was actually, there was a, a fantastic, um, you know, some fantastic collage shows that I've seen. There was a Matisse show a number of years ago at MoMA, Met Museum of Modern Art, yeah. where it was just his cutouts. And so I got kind of interested in, in collage a little bit because of that. I don't own any collages, but it intrigued me. And I actually made some collages myself because I can't draw or anything. But with my, my daughter was little just for something fun to do, we made collages. So that it, that gave me something to give Skylar that I could kind of relate to. And she even admits that she was very moved by that Matisse exhibit at MoMA to yeah. start doing collages. Yeah, it's so fun. I mean, it was, and it is, an, it is not a sort of the art that we normally necessarily think about um, when we think, when we think about, you know, art, but it's a very interesting and, and, evocative form of art and we could totally picture it when Skylar was doing it especially the one you know um about that 
that experience in that night. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your process? Um, do you, are you a you know, plotter, pantser? Do you know the whole story? Tell us how you work. Well, I definitely am a plotter. I just can't imagine not doing it that way. What are you, Danielle? I'm a, I'm a pantser, but I would love to be a plotter. So if you have any advice for us. <laughs> I so I, admire people like you. Lisa Unger is a good friend of mine. And she just says, my characters take me where they're going. And I just, I can't do that um, for the full picture, but I do it as I work my way through the book. I always know when I start the killer, how they, why they killed. And I also know how, I'm going to try to do the the main twist. But then I let people kind of have their own heads a bit. I I plot out generally four chapters at a time, always sort of knowing where I'm going. Yeah. And it's during that process that it's so much fun because people misbehave. They do things that you weren't expecting them to yes. do. They make you go, oh my, uh, wow, I'm going to have to make a little shift in my thinking here because you just decided to do that. So that's the fun of it. But I, I've never been able to do that with a whole book. Well, actually, I think that's kind of a perfect mix, right? You you know kind of what road you're on and generally what direction you're going. But the magic of sort of, like you said, the characters taking off on their own is still there. And that is sort of the fun part. I mean, there are people I know who plot out every scene and every, you know, right. And I can't, I can't imagine. I think I'd do that and be like, okay, the book is done. I don't really want to write it. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, who is the author, the British author? Well, she's American, but she writes the British books. She, uh, Thomas Linney, Linley, uh, she did a whole book about how important it was to plot out every single thing. Oh, wow. And you, you, you know, every detail, I thought that would not be engaging for me if I sat down every day and didn't know that today something wacky is going to happen in my brain. That's part of the fun of it. Do you ever as a pantser box yourself into a corner or realize, uh oh, well, that's the problem. I mean, I, my, and I'm, you know, set, I guess, 16, 17 books in and I end up like writing oftentimes 25, 30,000 words and realizing that that is not, that I need to shift. So it is not an efficient way to write. Um, that's why I'm like, if I could figure out how to be more of a plotter, but I'm, I'm finding now that like a book whisperer, like somebody working with me who just oh, checks my progress and says, okay, this is still on track. This is still on track. And Danny Palmer, who I know, you know, um, yeah. is a good friend of mine. And he tried to do that for with me for a while, but you know, I'd be like, no, I think it's going to be fine. I, he wasn't <laughs> convincing enough until I was really far down the road. So now he's just like, yeah, you need a professional sort of guider and it is true it's that I mean, that works well because otherwise <laughs> so much wasted time and energy and it's it's uh it's very depressing so <laughs> but you um, ever, when you do have to throw out some of it do you have, have to throw all thirty thousand words or can you work with some of that depends usually i work with some of it i mean it's not all it's not all trash but usually a lot of times it's just the very beginning that, that needs to go you know i start the story too late or you know, um, yeah, it's, it isn't, um, it, 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 I mean, maybe this is just the way the, the process is, right? It, may, it isn't very clean. And you sort of think if there's a more orderly way to do it, you know, but it, at some point, right. 
I don't know. That's your sort of, that's the name of the game. So it's going to be messy. Kind of going to be messy. So you've authored a lot of books, um, over the course of your, you know, career have, has, have things changed? I mean, in terms of, are you more, do you feel more comfortable? I know I, I talked to Sandra Brown and she said that every time she starts a new book, she has to look at the bookshelf and be like, you can do this. You have done this before. <laughs> and I think, oh, well, if Sandra thinks that, then I feel I okay. But I mean, how about you? Like, you know, what is, how has it shifted? Well, there are a couple things that make, make it a little bit easier in that I know I can write 90,000 words. When I got my first book contract, it was for two books. I'm like, wait, I, I wrote one. I'm not going to be able to write another one. And so I know I can write 90,000 words. And I know that I'll figure it out. Like in this particular book that I'm working on now for next year, my agent likes to read. And she had suggested that I needed to move up some action in, in, by the 10th or 11th chapter. And as I started cutting and pasting, I realized I didn't just need to, to you know, we move a little bit around. I had to lose a chapter's worth of words and I had to move the, all this stuff around. And a number of books ago, that would have put me in a panic. Right. But I just knew, hey, uh, you know, my brain will solve it, even though right now as I'm sitting here, I, I can't figure it out. And, and that happened and it took... A, a while over over the Easter weekend when I should have been looking for Easter eggs in the grass, I was doing this. Uh, but I guess the hard part is that, and I'd love to hear what you have to say, the stakes have really been raised as the market has been flooded with so many women wanting to be have the life that someone like Gillian Flynn had, which is, you know, you're your own boss, you, you get to do podcasts and, and, and it's, it's fun. And then the books themselves have gotten crazier and more outrageous, some of them. Yeah. And you're left with, with, wow, I, I do I really want to go out there that much when it isn't credible? I, I saw someone say the other day, uh, a reader go, if I'm not saying what the F every three chapters, I'm in the wrong book. And I I sometimes like to just read a book for the the pleasure and yeah. of, of, of like Jane Harper, I just read. I love and, her. And her, you don't go what the F when you're no, reading books. No. It's just the pleasure of being with Aaron Falk and seeing how his mind works. But but I would say when you do psychological suspense, for the most part, you're in a field where there's crazy stuff happening. Yeah, it do is you, interesting. I do. I, I would agree with that. And I think that we're in this place of the market. And I, I'd like to think it's not permanent, but I'm not sure um, where it is really about sort of like how wild can the twist be at the end? And I consider myself a little bit of a traditionalist in that I don't think it's fair to be in the point of view of somebody who doesn't tell you what is really happening. Like, I don't think you can be in the in the point of view of the killer and not give it away because when we're in the point of view of a character, at least close third, I that's what I usually write in. I don't feel like it's fair for me to not, you know what I mean, not tell you, right. oh yeah, by the way, I killed that guy. I wouldn't be able to, <laughs> I, now if I'm not in their point of view, then the, all, you know, all, bet, all bets are off. But that to me is one of those like, 
you know, and I think that's sort of what you're referring to is like the yeah. idea that you read a person, you read a book, a whole book of somebody, and then at the end find out that nothing that you read was exactly who they were or what they were up to. Yeah, there were a number of books ago, uh, somebody, some critic for one of the trades said something like, well, that seemed a little too coincidental. I'm like, too coincidental. I just read a book where the woman had not one serial killer in her life she had two distinct serial killers yeah exactly that's not that's not coincidence I know I tell you we have to stop reading the trade those you know all the, those reviews because it's so brutal like and you find somebody you know some one what one person loves another person doesn't and you know that's you we all know this but it is it is true it's like I, I'll if you think that's a coincidence I've got nine books you should read first right I mean it's <laughs> it's right. just it's just so yeah. so true. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think domestic. You're right. Domestic suspense more than any other um, genre right now really has been up the ante for sort of how can you shock the reader? And readers are so smart. They read so much, and they know exact. They just can see any little hint from way off in the distance, and they're on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I have to say it was such a pleasure to read Exiles because it was just curl up in an armchair with a cup of tea book. And I yeah. knew I was going to have to get a flashlight and check outside and make sure no one was breaking into <laughs> in or doing anything right. like it just it was about the puzzle. Yeah. And, and I, I love that. I haven't read that one yet, but her last one, uh, Dry, what was that called? Oh my gosh, my mind. She did, um, there was Survivors, I think. And before that, Lost Man, which I thought was wonderful too. Okay, yeah, so maybe it's Survivors, but I think it is the um, the idea that, yeah, that you are reading, you're in the mind of a really great writer and you're in good hands and you know at the end, you'll be like, wow, that was phenomenal. Yeah, so, yeah. It's but, so true. but it's been a great field to be in, right? I mean, I feel that all the things that appealed to me about it when I was the editor of Cosmo, I had a fantastic job, but I, I wanted to have a period of my life where I could be my own boss and have some freedom and live abroad yeah. part of the year. And 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 so it's this is the tenth. This August is the tenth anniversary anniversary for me of leaving my wonderful job, which I know they thought was kind of crazy, and it's been as great as I thought it would be. And today, after I see you, I'm going down to meet with John Searles, a fabulous author. So and fun. We're going to walk the high line, and he will work for me at Cosmo, so I still get to see my Cosmo buddies, and 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 yet I've got this wonderful life as an author it's yeah it's a, a whole well, second career it's amazing yeah. so let's talk about that I mean the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine that's not a small job Kate that's a pretty big <laughs> job so yeah it was you, sorry go ahead oh you say that Danielle um it, yeah well I mean what was that like and how did you did you think you wanted to write before you left was that part of the plan well, what happened is when I was in, in high school, before there was the internet, I wrote a play that was put on in my high school, not anything great, but just a little play. I was yearbook editor. I, I loved magazines. And I didn't know that you kind of had to pick a lane. And then I get to college and I realize, oh, wow, you can't be all those kinds of writers. So I, I won a contest that Glamour Magazine had, and I ended up having the lane kind of picked for me because I 
got a job at Glamour after winning the contest. And, and so over time, I realized I, I don't want to give up that dream of writing a suspense novel, which was one of those things I'd fantasized about too in high school. And I also thought it will be a backup plan because the magazine business was pretty precarious. They they like to fire editors in chief and then eat them for lunch there. Oh Not anymore. Magazines are kind of over as we knew them. But I so I, I decided I would try to get a contract writing suspense novels to fulfill that dream, but also to have a plan B. And which they didn't even call it plan B then, but in retrospect, that's what it was. So I, I didn't, in the end, I didn't need a plan B, but I was glad I had it. But then when I got to a certain age, I thought, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to have the chance to do it. Um, so I started even while I was at Cosmo writing sense, and it was definitely burning the candle at both ends, but I kept thinking, you know, this will help me out. And then I got to a point where I felt I could leave and do it. And as much as I, I gave them two years notice that stretched into three, cause they wanted me to stay another year while they found my replacement. So I got to savor those last yeah. year, everything. And that was wonderful because you don't get to do that a lot, but, but it, it worked out well. And it's also nice. Cosmo was the, we, we under me, we became the number one seller in newsstand single copy sales in the United States. And we were the number one women's magazine in the world. So the pressure that oh would happen, I would get that call the first Tuesday every month with the first checkup at newsstand. And I'd be like, oh, no, I would see Jim called. Oh, gosh. And I didn't know if he was going to say, Kate, you got a winner on your hands or don't ever use so-and-so on your cover again. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't even imagine the pace that you were, you know, that you were running in those days. That is just and to do that with uh, and then also be writing novels. So 10 years. Congratulations. You've been uh, I, I mean, we can't really call it retired, but retired from one job and into yeah. the next and uh, no regrets, it sounds like. So that's amazing. No, and I think a lot of people probably have thought about reinvention because of the pandemic. And I, yeah. I do really good to step back and look at your life and say, you know, we we can be serial achievers, I think, where you you can do something for a while, then change. And one of the things that I found interesting, a lot of the women I talked to who reinvented kind of tapped into a girlhood dream. And so yeah. it's interesting to go back and think about what did you dream about as a young woman and what that meant for you? So I'm really glad I did it and I'm glad I did it when I did it. So I had time to enjoy it. Yeah, it's, I mean, actually, you're ahead of the curve because I think we <laughs> talked a lot more about sort of, you know, re, you know, second careers, second lives, second chances or whatever. Now that after the pandemic, like you said, than we did back then. Right. Um, so, I mean, and like you said, I'm sure a lot of people thought you were nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, I had a clothing allowance that you would not believe. And <sighs> there were just so many great perks, you know, the car and driver and the Cosmo beauty closet, but that would have all gone away anyway, because Part of what accelerated my decision to definitely go was I had access to not only my numbers, but as part of the company to all magazine numbers. And we traded with other magazine companies and I could see the bottom falling out because Gen X uh, 
read magazines. Gen Y was sort of on the cusp and Gen Z, they, 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 they read them only on the internet. People do not buy hard copies anymore of magazines. Yeah. And I don't either. Uh, I, I read a few magazines like Vanity Fair in New York, but I read them online. Me too. So yeah. I understand it. I get it. It's, it's part of the times are changing and uh, it, it happened. Yeah, you were there at the heyday, which was an incredible place to to time to be there. And I, I am coveting the clothing allowance as we speak, but um, that's amazing. So you obviously know New York so well, and it was really fun for me to read about Evolution, which is a store that has oh. all these um, like yeah. scientific. They have you know bones and skins and shark teeth, and because my it was one of my it's one of my son's favorite um, stores. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I've got two brothers in Brooklyn, and actually my son is now at FIT. Um, but when we were, he was little, that was like the play he and my nephew would be like, can we go to evolution? And oh, that I area, there's that. a, the Mercer kitchen is kind of right in that area. We would yeah. be like, you can go there and the moms will be having a glass of wine at Mercer kitchen. So oh, yeah. anyway, it's such a lovely spot. So, but let's talk about, you also now spend some of your time in, in Uruguay and that is, I mean, it's not the place we hear about. So tell us no. about that. First of all, I, we, I want to visit and it looks amazing. So tell us how you ended up there and how often you're there and what that's like. Can I just tell you, Danielle, if you ever visit, I would love to treat you to dinner <laughs> and lunch at my house. Yeah. My husband and I traveled a lot with our kids on eco trips because my son was a restless traveler. He just did not do well in museums. And so we started going and doing a lot of trips to Central and South America and mostly bird watching and eco trips. And, and we really enjoyed it. And my husband and I started to think it'd be so great to have someplace that we could go in the winter that it was nice. And uh, we we know that, you know, South America is was certainly more affordable than it's farther to travel to, but it's more affordable than buying a home in Florida, let's say. So we we started looking around a little bit and uh, some friends of ours, two guys that have been lifelong friends of ours, a couple, they had bought a place in Uruguay and we we went and saw, they bought land and they we went and visited their land after we'd been in Argentina for a few days. Uh, Uruguay is just to the east of Argentina. A lot of people don't even know where it is. A friend of mine said to me, well, I would I have to fly through the Congo to get there? <laughs> He's wrong continent. Probably um, not, right. So uh, we, while we were there, he just showed us this little house in this little beach town where he lived and it was for sale and he had already arranged for a real estate agent to be there and we bought it that the next day and I think part of why we were able to pull the trigger and, and I always tell people this years ago I remember hearing a woman at a lecture say you can't have anything until you first imagine yourself having it. So we started to imagine ourselves living someplace in South America. Yeah. Now, Uruguay is an incredibly progressive country. They are one of the great democracies in the world. They're, ener they're energy efficient. They're really progressive. And it was a wonderful place. It's yeah. a wonderful place to live. And people are very chill and laid back and very, very nice. They're wonderful parents. It's just great to be around. No ah. one speaks English. So you have to get some Spanish under your belt. Yeah. So your Spanish is improving, I'm sure, every, every time you're down there. But you must speak 
pretty well to be there. Well, my husband got started before me and he's he's pretty fluent now, but I do a great course of, of private lessons through a place called Go Spanish. They're just $20 a lesson, I think. And then I do Duolingo and, mm -hmm. and just speaking down there makes such a difference because people there are so nice. Unlike when you go to France and they look at you kind of aghast. Right. You, don't try to speak our language exactly that's so true yeah. well, i'm gonna put i'm gonna put your bar on my list because it sounds amazing and it isn't a country that you know i mean you know we've traveled through parts of south america and central america um but i it's not ever sort of come up as one of those places that we ought to visit have you been to argentina i've not i've been to peru and ecuador oh. brazil um, but not, uh-uh, not to Argentina. Well, or you are so much more aware of South America than most Americans. But if, if you, I would suggest you go to Buenos Aires, which is one of the great cities of the world. We go try to go over there almost every year. And then you could either do a trip down to Mendoza for a few days, mm -hmm. or if you haven't, it sounds like you might've been to Iguazu Falls or Iguazu yes. I have been there. Yes, that's beautiful. Or, or you could go to Bariloche, the lake mm -hmm. country of Argentina, and then you come over to Uruguay. It, it doesn't have the culture uh, or the history of fabulous Peru or Chile or or uh, Argentina or Ecuador, but it uh, it's beautiful. Darwin spent about 10 weeks there right near where we live. And so you would come for some beach and there's great vineyards with wonderful restaurants connected to them so that would be your relaxation part and then you i love it to my house for a lovely lunch on the deck or dinner if that's your preference that sounds amazing well i will actually i will I'll follow up with you because i um i'm gonna make some notes and and get on it we're uh we're now since we're empty nesters now of course it's the it's a good time to travel and it's there's a lot of world I have not been to. So that is so exciting. Well, I, I appreciate that. And we have not been to Argentina, which is also on our list. So uh, that's just fabulous. Um, I'm like, now I'm like, okay, because I'm looking at snow outside. So now I'm like, wait. So wait. <laughs> oh, God, because of where you are. Yeah. Yes. We have a, a lot of snow. We went skiing yesterday. It's very crazy that we still have snow in April. But here we are in Montana. So, okay. So you said, um, you just mentioned you're working on, the book for next year. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it and this is a tricky time. And I'm sure you experience this too, where you've got one book coming out, you you're finishing another one, but you have to, because I have to write a book a year, I already have to start to think about the next one. But this one is about a woman who she breaks off her engagement to someone who she realizes she loves him, but she's not really in love with him. And several months later, she goes to a party where he is at the party and she realizes maybe that was a mistake. And, and that night it looks, um, he's killed by a uh, gunshot and it looks like he's killed himself, but she becomes convinced that he didn't do it, that it was, that he was murdered. And so she feels just a drive to prove that partly to for her own to ease her own conscience right. that that this is what happened not that it's so much better that he was murdered but that's the her quest in the book right well and i think that's right especially if you had about a breakup you don't want to imagine that somebody's you know killed themselves right after that or even in the um, but i can i can 100% see why you'd be like i need to to know this for sure and he deserves 
to be, if it was a murder, to, it, he deserves uh, justice. So yeah. that sounds very much like a Kate White book and I love it. Does, it. does it have a title? I know they change these things all the time. So no, but I'm just starting now. I'm going to hand it in in the beginning of May and I'll start thinking of a title. Then sometimes I've had the titles while I'm working on them, but so, and that's shifting too. It used to be a certain type of title and now there's different kinds of titles. Danielle, <laughs> a lot of pressure. I know, I know it is. And it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of being flexible about a lot of things, um, you know, but it's also, it is kind of like, it's, it's really the love, like the love of my life, this job. Uh, it is. And anyone who, who may be listening, it's just, it is as fun as it looks. Yeah. It, but it's also as hard as it looks. <laughs> I know. It's as fun as it looks until 8.30 in the morning and you sit down at the desk. Right. And you're like, oh, dang, that blank, that damn blank cursor. Somebody yeah. told me recently that um, that they leave themselves the night, you know, when they finish the day, they leave themselves in the middle of a scene, which I thought was brilliant because, you know, I like to sort of finish a scene they, and then Google it. Hemingway said that leave oh. off at the a part that you love working on so that when you get up in the morning, that's what you're doing. I also been doing something lately that I read the Karen Slaughter told me she uses a timer sometimes. And I read about something called the Pomodoro technique where you set it for 25 minutes and take a five minute break. That has been so helpful to me because I would get up and putter if left to my own devices. Well, it's funny too. I actually do 15 minutes because I find 25 minutes <laughs> sometimes seems a long time, but a lot of times that buzzer goes off and I just hit restart. It's, um, I think that's right. That's the, the sprints, writer sprints. Um, oh, that's I've never heard it referred to that way. That's great. Yeah. And I think the Pomodoro method is it's the same, but I think it's if for those people who are sort of like trying to write something and feeling like, God, you know, all that time, uh, no, no words on the page. It's a really nice way of sort of being like, okay, all you have is it's only 15 minutes. In fact, my sister uh, is so funny and she's I am desperately trying to get her to write a book about her some funny like you know and hard life experiences that she's had with her kids and and I just said I, I said here we are let's just set a timer for 15 minutes and she wrote like 400 words and I was like see that's all you need uh, yeah yeah 15 so, minutes a day and you know I, I think I also try to urge beginning writers you don't have to write all morning or, or all day when I first started because I was so afraid of being able to commit. I wrote for only 15 minutes a day in the 15 minutes, the whole day. That's all I wrote. Yeah. And so um, that's what I did for the first number of months. And then I stretched it and stretched it. Yeah. But I think don't bite off more than you can chew in the beginning. And you can write a whole book in 15 minutes a day. It takes a long time, right? But, right, but you can. And even absolutely. if you do a page a day, you've got 365 pages. Yes, exactly. And I think, and the other thing about that method is that it's better, I think, to touch the book every day oh. if you can, right? Yes. So I talk about that. Who are, they go, they write on vacation or they, they go, take writers retreats for themselves. I'm like, if you're not writing every day, Walter Mosley says this, John Grisham, and who are we to argue with them? You have got to write every day because like I, I think of it, uh, I just came up with this thinking about Darwin since he, yeah. he 
spent time near us. I was reading some of his writings and, you know, he came up with the, the concept that's now called primordial soup, where it was this kind of bubbling thing in the beginning of the, the world. And that's life sprang from all these amino acids or whatever. And, and so I think you got to have that cooking. And if yeah. you go away for two weeks from that, your soup is cold. So you've got to keep the primordial soup going. I agree. And I also think there's something about like when you're keeping track of so many characters and plot points and twists and stuff, it just having being there every day to be like, it's sort of like keeping in touch with a friend who's in a crisis, right? You just need to know kind of blow by blow what's going on. And your brain is more likely to solve those problems about if you're not sure how the twist is going to play out. If you're working with the primordial soup every day, that answer is going to gurgle up for you rather than if you're starting cold at some point. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's hard. I mean, I, I, we obviously all miss days, but I think it is a lot less painful. It's like going, not going back to the gym, right? If you haven't been there for two months, it's like excruciating. <laughs> right. So, oh yeah. So anyway, well, that's exciting. So, okay. So this book is coming out on May 16th and this show will be live on May 18th, which means that as the time of you're listening to us, this book is available between two strangers by the amazing Kate White. And uh, this has been so much fun, Kate. I'm going to see you. Oh my God. You have, if you don't come to Uruguay, I'm going to come to Montana and find you. Oh, I love that. You're 100% welcome. I'd wait until the snow melts, which could be a while, but I would love to have you in Montana too. And I will, I'm going to be there. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, hey, and I will send you links. Once you're really thinking about it, I'll recommend hotels and Buenos Aires restaurants, the whole works. Ah. God, Kate White slash, you know, best-selling author slash travel agent slash, <laughs> a, you know, fa fabulous woman slash editor. Amazing. So um, it has been so fun to, ch to chat with you. I'm going to see you at Thriller Fest, right? Yes, absolutely. See okay. you there, Danielle. Yes. Everybody, this has been Killer Women with the amazing Kate White. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye.